are listening to The Renegade Economist, investigating monopoly profits, great corruption, and the policy solutions demanded. Geeky but essential, the tools to the fairest and most efficient economic system await. With your host, Carl Fitzgerald. The Green New Deal is about shifting our political, economic, and social paradigms on every issue. Because we don't have time to wait. We don't have time for five years for a half-baked, you know, watered-down compromise position when people are dying because their insulin is skyrocketing. Because when people, uh, you know, they're sending to their kids to schools that have lead in the water, it is, this is urgent. This is urgent. And to think that we have time is such a privileged and removed from reality attitude. <laughs> And that was, of course, AOC starting us off with today's theme on the Green New Deal and how on earth we can restructure our economy rapidly enough. Welcome to this Renegade Economist pod course. It's been a while since I've been online. Thanks for your patience. Remember, this month is subscriber drive on 3CR, so please support via 3cr.org.au, click through to donate and mention the Renegade Economist. I need to find four new members to keep these mighty public airwaves open and awareness growing of uh, the need for change. And what a summer it's been amidst bushfires, smoke haze, brown sludge, rain. How crazy was that? Extreme lightning and yes, now even above average rainfall alongside freezing days. We have that on one side and on the other side is a life of precarity. Wondering if we'll keep our jobs. Miss out on a couple of paychecks and there goes the house. Oh, God knows uh, uh, all of the issues we're facing in this sort of gig economy where pay rises occur less often than a notice to vacate someone's investment property if you're a renter. Yes, we really need the next economy. There's so much debate about it. How can this structural change be enacted uh, to deal with so many problems that are hitting us uh, left, right and centre? And today we're going to look at uh, this concept of the Green New Deal. But first, I wanted to step back in time to a piece I wrote in January 2007, Capitalism's Change Agents. With climate change finally front and centre on the political agenda, we are at a unique point in time to assess our ability to change. When capitalism began, there was an abundance of nature and a shortage of goods. It made sense to prioritize the means of production. However, today, with our roller coaster summer taking us from 18 to 36 degree days, our growth fetish could soon become a famine. Corporations and consumers must be brought back into balance with nature. The insurance industry is on the front line to nature's warnings. How long will it be until remote bush property in northeastern Victoria is uninsurable? Time is marching for million-dollar coastal properties and rising sea levels. The big question is, can we rely on our present system to change behaviour quickly enough? 
And last week, I was in New South Wales uh, in Parliament House for the Federal Financial Relations Review Forum. And uh, yeah, David Thody came round, worked the room, asking all participants what uh, they wanted, uh, you know, what were the core themes. And yeah, for me, it was this inability to change the old money Uh, sitting at the top of the power structure and constricting change so that they can continue their easy profits. I almost fell off my chair when uh, on one side sitting next to me was uh, former opposition leader John Hewson and in front of me was uh, former uh, Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson from the National Party who raised concern about groups like Extinction Rebellion and others having no... Uh, respect for the market system anymore and that was a huge challenge and uh, after uh, that session I said to him well it's all about monopoly capitalism and quick as a wink he says I call that crony capitalism and yeah that is the challenge of our times uh, trying to educate those people that uh, we're all in this together we're all going to face huge huge issues if we cannot get these wheels moving as AOC reminds us we've got to get going so is a carbon tax or a cap and trade a carbon fee and dividend or even carbon rationing you know is that sort of the cornerstone of what we need for the next economy well I want to uh, delve into a fascinating analysis of the Yellow Jackets uh, by Christopher Ketchum, former renegade economist interviewee. He had a piece in Harper's Magazine called A Play With No End, What the Gilets Jaunes Really Want. And basically, this uh, Yellow Jackets protest movement was triggered by a carbon tax of four cents per litre on petrol and nine cents on diesel. Ketchum writes, Macron's tax seemed to place the burden of ecological responsibility on the classes least able to bear it, those in the poorest parts of France, outside the big cities, who depend more than ever on their cars for transport in places where rail and bus services were disappearing under the regime of austerity and whose village centres, not so long ago places of boulangeries, boucheries, patisseries, cafes, brasseries and bars, had been hollowed out by multinationals and e-commerce. He goes on to say, The wealthiest 10% of French citizens emit some 17 metric tonnes of carbon per capita, according to Oxfam, while the poorest 50% emit less than five. In the US... The top 10% emits 50 metric tons versus the bottom 50% emitting 8. So it is the top end of town who are polluting. They are flying. They can afford the holidays. They can afford all of the luxury mod cons. So, uh, you know, the biggest carbon footprint is there. And that's something that uh, a tax on these pollutants, this energy usage, uh, will internalize the cost structure of the economy. And whilst John Anderson, you know, was raising concerns about uh, faith in the market system, yeah, it's it's a valid point and people are right to be frustrated with it because uh, the costs that are having the biggest impact aren't really being quantified. You think about uh, all of the 
free pollution our biggest uh, emitters are able to engage in and the health costs of that, the reduced life expectancy, uh, so many flow-ons that, that come from it uh, through to our friends in Kiribati and the Pacific Islands who are right now facing these rising tides. Uh, it, it's a huge battle and I'm I just really hope that James Murdoch or someone in the Murdochracy steps up and helps bring a sense of uh, reality to uh, the learning that everyday people are surrounded by uh, with their news feeds as they walk along the pavement, glued to their phone, hopefully reading something goddamn well uh, uh, educational. And with uh, these bushfires, there has been a lot of focus on the what if of Australia and uh, those golden years of 2013-14 uh, uh, when we actually had a carbon tax. Uh, our emissions fell by 2.4% in 2013, 1.1% in 2014. Uh, so that uh, reduction saw... Uh, 14 million metric tons less emitted in 2014 than there was in 2012. Uh, big drops in the electricity sector, uh, but increases in mining and manufacturing. Sure, economic growth really wasn't affected. 3.01% over those years, uh, 12 to 14 versus 3.07 over 30 years either around that. So basically, uh, yeah. We didn't really suffer from that. There was some smart politicking around uh, reductions in income tax, uh, increases in social welfare for those on the lower end who uh, were, were feeling the pain uh, that the right wing sort of made a lot of scaremongering about. Uh, yeah, who knows whether the Murdoch press helped or hindered. Well, we know what happened, don't we, dear 3CR listeners? My, oh, my... How do we stay sane? And of course, whilst there was so much concern about the carbon tax itself, these goddamn monopolists got into uh, the system, the privatisation from power generation to the distribution system to the retailing, they all got in on it. Uh, perhaps the most well-known was the gold plating of poles and wires where a 10% return on investment was offered to uh, these network distributors who invested in new poles and wires. Uh, imagine having a guaranteed 10% return on investment. Of course, they all over-invested in it. And uh, that was just to assist three or four days of extreme weather, which now some six or seven years later, our renewable energy uh, power base um, can fairly well cover. Uh, we also had depreciated optimized replacement costs, these ramped up depreciation um, schedules that helped write down profits, um, helping sidestep some pricing regulation pressures there. And then, of course, uh, uh, retail price gouging, sort of uh, loyalty um, tax that uh, uh, power retailers uh, imposed on unsuspecting consumers. They all added up, uh, probably having a, a much greater effect than the carbon tax itself. Uh, but of course, uh, because uh, many of these people are, uh, many of these companies are supporters of uh, the Liberal Party, they're the ones making the donations, they're the ones on these revolving uh, boards uh, around corporate Australia, rubbing shoulders with the powers that be, with the retired politicians, 
Of course they were protected. Of course they were protected. Rather than just uh, front and center on carbon taxes and uh, you know this green green energy sort of pricing uh, front, it's been uh, of interest to notice uh, this Green New Deal approach, which has emphasized jobs, emphasized investment in renewable energy, uh, uh, framing it in a positive manner so that people pick up that it's about jobs, it's about uh, making things happen to protect the people rather than talking about how this is going to be paid for. It's been more a visioning exercise from people like Bernie Sanders, from AOC herself. And uh, from that, we're hoping that it picks up. But uh, my, my, having just seen Bernie Sanders' uh, economic policy announcements and how many aggressive forays uh, alongside uh, the Jeremy Corbyn, alongside the Bill Shorten type uh, Labour agenda. It doesn't look good. People don't have the brain cells to uh, take this all on anymore. They're dumbing down. Oh my, oh my. On it goes, on it goes. On the events of September 11, 2001, thousands of Americans died in largest uh, terrorist attack on U.S. soil. And our national response, whether we agree with it or not, our national response was to go to war in one, then eventually two countries. 3,000 Americans died in Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Where is our response? You're on 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host Carl Fitzgerald and this month we do have a subscriber drive. Hit 3cr.org.au and donate, support, become a subscriber, mention The Renegade Economist, and that'll keep me in the good books so uh, I can keep rabbiting on like this. We've seen some of the problems. Uh, let's have a look at uh, what we can do. Is the best mechanism a cap and trade, a carbon fee and dividend, a carbon tax? Uh, perhaps we're going to get to this radical future where it's a carbon rationing. Well, the cap-and-trade system often uh, takes a cake. Financial services industries love this because uh, there's a potential financialization process in there. Trading, there'll be advisors, uh, you know, there'll be all, all sorts of middlemen trying to sneak in there and push prices up and on-sell things. Uh, you know, it does have its advantages that there's a cap on the carbon budget and that then means that carbon prices will go up, they can be traded, but is that trade restricted to the one country or do we allow international credits to be brought in? Is that a good thing? You know, we saw examples of uh, tribal chiefs in Papua New Guinea uh, signing contracts to lock up uh, huge swathes of forest for a, a who knows, uh, you know, it seemed like a, a Toyota Land Cruiser and twenty or $30,000 cash, and there's some sort of carbon cowboy making the easy money on that. We've also had the controversies for Australia of trying to include the carryover credits from the Kyoto negotiations. There's concern all the way along uh, this process in how many handouts will be given to the incumbents and what sort of incentives there will be for uh, the sort of scientific uh, revolution we need. Carbon fee and dividend. This is a good one. 
uh, do like this. Uh, basically, carbon-based taxes would uh, be distributed as a dividend to everyone equally, man, woman and child. And from that, uh, uh, governments couldn't really uh, mess with that money, couldn't pork barrel it into their favourite projects. Uh, libertarians tend to support this one. But for me, really carbon taxing um, still is the mainstay, still the best system. Uh, we had a $20 uh, price on carbon back in that uh, 12, 13, 14 period and we saw this sort of uh, change in behavior from business. It was making a difference over time. That price would increase, um, further incentivizing the move towards renewable energies. Uh, that, that revenue could also fund the sort of uh, welfare uh, increases needed at the lower end. But yeah, are we going to have this period of inaction? Is it going to keep continuing? And we get to this point where five years out from 2032, 2030, somewhere around there, uh, we have this carbon rationing system where every person has a carbon budget. And uh, some, you know, this may well be linked to our bank cards, uh, our debit cards, and every time we swipe, the BTU component of every product with some sort of barcoding system, uh, the British thermal unit, which uh, basically quantifies how much energy intensity has been used to produce that product, uh, comes off your budget. Maybe this is a non-monetary thing. It's just totally a survival aspect. In a way, it would, it would need to have uh, some sort of... Uh, penalty for pollution to encourage those businesses to shut down and uh, new ones to open up. Any listeners out there who've been studying uh, the French company Energy, which uh, bought up uh, Hazelwood Power Station in uh, Gippsland uh, for some $2 billion, seemed like it was barely 18 months later, they closed the whole thing down, but yet their share price escalated they're a massive multinational investor in the energy infrastructure market. But uh, yeah, that was phenomenal. $2 billion. They basically wrote off. They shut down one of the world's dirtiest uh, power plant stations and the share price went up. I'd love to know more background behind that story. Were the green bond evangelists uh, uh, throwing money at this company, uh, thanking them for doing that? Uh, there's so much money coming through the, the world of green bonds, looking for ways to pull this carbon out of the atmosphere, looking for ways to generate energy with uh, uh, little input that's uh, uh, able to be rolled out quickly. They are exciting times on that front. But for to go back to the yellow jackets thing, sure, we can have um, some sort of social welfare offsets. Uh, perhaps, uh, you know, those who live further out of town get um, more on their welfare budget. But really, we need something bigger than that because uh, with such a strong urbanization approach, uh, flowing through, uh, uh, we need to find a way to target monopolists. And of course, you know where I'm going, dear listeners. Uh, this is about uh, charging monopoly rents, whether that be on land, 
whether that be uh, minerals, our water trading system. Can you believe we don't value uh, our water licenses? It's outrageous. Uh, we have uh, DNA up for privatization. We've got all sorts of new areas, uh, new industries coming through. And one of the most uh, fascinating articles I've read so far in these first few months of 2020 is, uh, of course, the man himself, George Monbiot. And uh, just, I'm looking for the title here, I think. Uh, Saving Our Bacon was, was the one, one of his first for 2020. And uh, he's looking at farm-free bacterial-based foods and saying, uh, basically pointing to the fact that in terms of land use efficiency, being able to produce thousands of meals out of one vat, uh, using liquids and hydrogen-based uh, uh, technologies, uh, the energy input's low, the amount of food produced uh, per square meter is incredible, and this is going to have huge impacts on our farming uh, communities. What are governments doing to prepare for this? He also hints at uh, this need to recognize the, the patenting of these new frontiers of, uh, of biophysics, biofood, uh, you know, all across the board, there are planetary saving developments coming through that are going to be the next multi-trillion dollar, you know, the next Google factory, uh, the next Facebook type entrepreneurs are coming through. But so much of that technology is built off the back of past developments, much of it enabled by the belief in the commons the belief in open source technology. And if governments aren't prepared for this, then these uh, new, new entrepreneurs uh, are going to be, you know, the next Uber, Uber unicorns, Uber unicorns, unicorns, something along those lines, but uh, multi-billionaires. And perhaps there's a public interest component that says, look, sure, you can make a, uh, uh, your first billion dollars, but look, the commons needs to be recompensed for, the public needs to be recompensed for all of uh, uh, the building blocks that have enabled this technology to occur. So perhaps there is uh, some sort of rent charged uh, on the ability to produce uh, these foods. I'm kind of stretching it there, but you know where I'm sort of going. If uh, these companies are allowed to lock up these uh, new developments and patent them and then build the patent thickets around that so that no one else can compete with them, that's what Google and Apple seem to be doing more and more of. So uh, we've got to deter that behavior so that there can be competition in these new technological developments and from that prices uh, kept at a minimum so we can all have access to these uh, building blocks of life. So yeah, if we did capture this land, this uh, real estate frenzy that keeps continuing, uh, you know, there's basically half of the government's budget. And not only are we raising this revenue, we're pushing down land prices. Some 70% of our uh, mortgage, you know, is the land component. So if we push that down, we do have a greater ability to save money so we can engage in the proactive practices 
of uh, maintaining our health, having a bit of spare time so we have mental health uh, breaks as well. And most importantly, having a system that encourages the densification of our cities. You know, we're just sprawling so far. Here I am on my high horse talking from uh, Drummond, uh, 75 minutes out of Melbourne. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're um, needing to ensure that those who own the land near these new high-speed rail stations um, pay for the building of that station. It shouldn't be the workers that are renting in the properties surrounding there. That's the current system we have. Landowners get away with blue murder. So uh, yeah, by tightening uh, those sort of loops up, uh, this closed loop economic system occurs where uh, those who make these easy windfall benefits pay something back. Uh, those who've been getting free passes in terms of pollution pay something back. And these uh, externalities, whether they're pollution based or extreme wealth based, uh, are closed. And from that, we can placate the right wing by reducing taxes on companies, dare I say it, reducing taxes, most importantly on workers, and moving away from uh, sales taxes. And within this sort of movement of the Green, Green New Deal, there's a strong understanding that we have to address this sort of yellow jackets issue and have the structural issues in place to deal with monopolists, but unfortunately, Many of uh, these uh, reforms are based around uh, Piketty's work, his offsider Sayez, and a new guy named Guzman, and they're all talking about capital gains taxes or wealth taxes. And of course, uh, capital is easily mobile. It can be darted around the world. God knows what's happening on the frontiers with Bitcoin and all the, all the new currencies coming through, all the digital currencies coming through, but... Uh, a capital gains tax, for example, uh, delays the best use of a resource because uh, the owner will hold off until they make more and more profit to uh, basically uh, subsidize the capital gains taxes they have to pay. So having an annual fee you pay means that you have to put it to good use straight away and that means that uh, uh, the producers get to... Um, put uh, you know that location or those resources uh, to work now rather than hoarding it for immense speculative profits in the future. And that then means those buying up the hillsides waiting for rising tides to force the community up onto their land where they can jack the rents up. That doesn't become as profitable because the increase in land prices is taxed away year by year. And that then means the banks won't lend them as much money. It also means that the banks can't create as much money because land prices aren't increasing so rapidly. And then from that, the disparity between the wage increases we're all struggling for and the rampant increasing of land prices, that converges a little bit, well, quite a bit actually, so that we can slow down a little bit this uncertainty that drives us because we can't really ground ourselves in a place we limits our ability to feel part of society to know that we have a place in this world 
And whilst uh, land prices, housing prices keep jacking up, so much financial pressure results that domestic violence, the spin-offs from that, it's immense. So we need to slow the planet down. And uh, when you consider that Australia's land market is uh, some $6 trillion and the total valuations of all the banks, all the insurance companies, uh, the the biggest companies in Australia, they only add up to barely $2 trillion. We're talking three times greater impact on the economy when we get the land story right. We throw in uh, all the big money in mining, uh, water rights, all the other natural monopolies, and it's a massive component of our uh, economy that is barely accounted for. The economic framework ignores us, and look where we end up. All right, hopefully you can read our prosper.org.au website. We've got a few geeky submissions up there uh, you can sink your teeth into. Not so many blogs, but uh, a lot of good stuff happening behind the scenes. And yeah, I hope to uh, be as sane as ever next month here on the 3CR Airwaves. Keep these uh, uh, public interest airwaves alive and well by donating to 3cr.org.au.